from the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. The point is this. The one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance, so that by always having enough for everything, you may share abundantly in every good work. As it is written, he scatters abroad and gives to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and the, broad and the bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for your great generosity, which will produce thanksgiving to God through us. For the rendering of this ministry not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also overflows with many thanksgiving to God. Through the testing of this ministry, you glorify God by your obedience to the confession of the gospel of Christ and by the generosity of your sharing with them and with all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God that he has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift, the word of God. All right, please be seated. Whew. Whew. Happy Sabbath, everyone. Yes. Oh, man. Yeah, getting up and down those stairs for baptism is not for the weak. We are ending out our, our series this morning, The Church, or Church Is. And we close out our series on uh, the book of 2 Corinthians in chapter 9. Now, for the majority of our, our time together in this series, we were in 1 Corinthians. But here we're in 2 Corinthians, and it's a little bit of a different picture that you and I have uh, to, to deal with. The landscape has changed somewhat for Paul, and yet he's still writing with grace and graciousness. So, I know that we're used to seeing that particular text during times of giving and giving campaigns. And some of you might be thinking, oh, no, I came on a Sabbath where pastor's going to ask for money. Nobody. Good. Give some money. No. <laughs> but I think much more than money in this particular passage, Paul is really talking about generosity. You see, Paul realizes that true giving doesn't start in the pocket, true giving starts in the heart. And a generous heart is available to giving of much if the heart is prepared. So Paul has written this out and he's, he's sent this letter to the people. And today we're really going to focus in on the words that Paul uses here um, as he's talking about generosity. Before we dive fully in, I just want to remind us where we came from in our particular series, Church Is. We um, actually, this is a coupling or a sequel to a series we did in the fall called Jesus Is. Everybody say, Jesus Is. Jesus Is. And so we wanted to, when we were initially starting this, we wanted to start the new year off 
on the, on the springboard of who Jesus is and those values being what the church should be. So we, we have the series, Jesus is a person, not just an idea or a myth or a concept, but Jesus is a person. So the church is, remember we did this, people. It's people, diverse people of status, social status and race and creed, but it's people united by Christ. Then uh, our second Sabbath in Jesus is, we talked about Jesus is a shepherd. If those of you who remember Pastor Raywin's fantastic sermon on that, on leadership, Jesus is a shepherd. And our second week here in the new year, we talked about Jesus is, uh, or the church is sanctuary or a safe place. So if Jesus is our shepherd, then the places we follow him are going to be safe. They're safe places. And Jesus is Relevant was our final uh, sermon in that particular series. We talked about the difference between relevant and trendy. Jesus is relevant because he's relating to the problems of the world. He's connected. And so when he speaks from this place, people understand. They can relate. He's a, a relevant God, a relevant Christ for the times that we are in. And if that is so, then the church is a body that is built by love. You see, all of us play a relevant role in the work of love and goodness and reconciliation so that the world becomes a better place because Jesus is in the midst of us. Amen. Oh. Today, well, I do want to mention, I, I'm sure it was mentioned earlier, but next week we start our next series and it's going to be fantastic. All month long in the month of February, we're going to have some of the most brilliant scholars who happen to also be pastorally hearted. They're going to be here in our pulpit sharing every single Sabbath um, on Adventist response to race and racism from the book A House on Fire. If you haven't picked up one of these books, I suggest you do to prepare yourself for that next series. Um, the first Sabbath, we're going to have Dr. Janice Dwight from Loma Linda University. She's going to come. And then uh, the second Sabbath, we're going to have Dr. Maury Jackson right here from last year University. The third Sabbath, we're going to have uh, Dr. Olive Hemmings, who comes from Washington Adventist University. And then we're going to wrap the month up here in our pulpit with Dr. John Webster, one of our very own um, beloved members, as well as staff, faculty staff, Christian theologian right on our campus. Some of the best minds on this stuff. We think it is so imperative that we talk about uh, uh, racial reconciliation and equality and goodness that uh, I'm stepping off the pulpit that you may be taught by some very capable human beings. Amen? I'll be here. But they will get to preach and teach on racial reconciliation starting next week. Today, we close out our series with the value of generosity. The church should be a place that is generous, that is open, and that is giving. That is the very life of Christ. So generous and so giving that he gave his life that we might enjoy the riches of God's inheritance. And so it is the church too must be a place that is generous. We must be generous with forgiveness, generous with love, generous with goodness and kindness and peace. We must be a church that is generous. When I was five... 
at that time we were still living in Compton, California, uh, we had a very humble little meager place off 124th and El Segundo. It had a, hey, somebody knows where Compton is, okay. Had a little liquor store down the, down the way, liquor store, and uh, that's where we lived. And uh, one evening, as Tongan families tend to do, we visited each other. And so I had my aunt and uncle who came over and visited, and they had a little boy. And so we were, uh, they came over, and I just happened to have a couple toys. Didn't have very many toys back in the day. But I had two very particular toys. Both of them were motorcycle uh, uh, statues, little wheels that run. And one of them, you pull the string. This is the 1980s when that's all kids had. It was this or rocks, right? So you pull this string, this plastic string, and it would rev the back wheel, and the little motorcycle guy would just take off. Best thing ever made in the universe until the internet. And I'd happened to have something identical to that. It was another toy, just as big. They were quite large, just as big. It was a yellow one, but this one you had to, like, pump it. And you pumped it, and then when you hit the button, that motorcycle took off. Now, that one was brand new. I had just, just gotten it. came out of the box, beautiful, gorgeous. The other one was a black one that I pulled the string. It was antiquated. It was old. I'd had it for a long time, but I really loved the black motorcycle. Because, because the yellow one, you had to be good at the pumping, and I couldn't pump right. And so the thing would never, like, stand up. And so that annoyed me to no end. So I, I didn't use it very much, but I had this one. I could just pull the string and the thing just take off. Family comes over. The young boy comes over and plays with me, and we're playing, and I'm showing him my toys. I'm ripping this thing, and, you know, I was poor, but they were just a little bit poorer. So he's like, whoa, I've never seen that before. I was like, yeah, yes, I win. Bah, and, pew. and he says, what's the yellow one? I said, ah, that's a piece of junk. And he said, huh? And so I showed him, and we tried pumping the little yellow bike, and neither of us could get it right. We come out, and my mom is sitting in the living room, as, as she does with my dad and aunt and uncle, and they're laughing, and they're talking. And my mom looks down at me, and she says, hey, give one of those to your cousin. And I was like, nope, that's not happening. I've got two toys, two, count them, and I'm not giving either one of them up. And she says, hey, give one of your toys to your, your cousin. And so I looked at the toys and I said, well, he can have this yellow one. It's brand new. And she says, I thought, I thought you didn't like that one. I said, that's no, well, I mean, that's not the point. <laughs> mom, this is a new toy. <laughs> new toy, mom. So I went and I gave it to him. He's like, whoa, I can keep this. Yeah, keep it. My mom says, you sure? And I was like, yeah. But then when she said that, she walked away and I started feeling guilty. Like, man, maybe I should have given him the other one. So they were getting in the car and I, I go over to the car and I, I grabbed my motorcycle with the pulley on it. I ran out to their van as just about they were pulling off to trade him so that he can take the other one. I get to the window. And I said, uncle. He said, hey, what? What's going on? I said, Here. Auntie grabs it, and I could see in the car, my cousin was excited. Oh, yes. Auntie said, thank you. Uncle looked up, and they drove away with both my toys. 
<laughs> what? I had two toys in my life. And they just, into the darkness. I looked at my mom. I said, mom, they took both toys. Mom said, yeah, you shouldn't have given them both. Can I tell you a little secret, though? My mom awakened to me something that, that night that I'm not sure she knew about or my dad or anyone knew about, but she awakened me to this, to this experience, right? An experience of generosity. That at that moment, as a five-year-old child, when they drove away with both my toys, there was some sadness, but there was this overwhelming sense of joy. And I couldn't explain it at five years old. I didn't know what it was. I just knew that in the giving, someone had great joy. And though I have less, I am all the better for it. Now, listen, this is something I saw my dad do all the time. My dad is the most gracious human being. I learned from him even today in his life. He's the kind of human being where if he has it and you need it, you can have it. This is my dad. My dad, my dad you know, he, whatever you need, if it's on him and he can do it, he's going to give it to you. And I saw him doing this in our little home in Compton, whether it was to those who were passing by who needed food, whether it was uh, uh, people who needed help with their vehicles, and we didn't even have nice vehicles. My dad always stopped to be gracious to others, but I had never had the experience for myself until that evening. And something clicked in my little mind. To this day, I am the person I am because of that experience that night. I can still feel it in my heart. The feeling of giving something that you cherish to someone else to bring them joy. And though you might have less in the moment, you are all the better for it. Paul is speaking here to, to the people of Corinth, and this is the second letter, but really the second in existing letter. The, the first letter um, that was in existence is 1 Corinthians. He writes this. You remember, we've been going through it all week. But then, after he closes out that, that particular letter that he wrote from Ephesus, the people in Corinth decided they were going to reject Paul. Paul, in their eyes, was not a very good apostle. I mean, he was homeless. He'd been, he'd been stoned. He uh, has been not that kind, like, you know, thrown stones at. Some of y'all get that. Some of y'all don't. <laughs> Some of y'all are too good Adventists. Praise the Lord. Happy Sabbath. So, um, he'd been in prison, right? He's been poor. Like, that's not the kind of role model we want as our apostle. Come on, Paul. And so, so Corinth rejected Paul. They didn't want anything to do with Paul. There was better teachers coming from Athens. And there was uh, Apollos who had come up from Alexandria where, where there, there was a wisdom school down in Alexandria. Where is Alexandria? Sorry, what? Egypt. Where is Egypt? Africa. There, this, uh, somebody say amen. amen. Thank you. This is the epicenter of wisdom. Apollos comes up from Alexandria and is smooth as ice. Paul doesn't have that. So after 1 Corinthians, that letter that we read, beautiful, happy, good-going letter, the people reject Paul. They don't want anything to do with Paul. Paul's feelings are very hurt. He takes a trip down to make things right. 
with the people in Corinth. And they just beat him up emotionally. They tear him down mentally. He's, 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 he's just thrown by the wayside. Paul, you have nothing to offer the community of Corinth any longer. Paul goes back. He's in pain. And he writes one more letter. And this letter brings them some closure. In that letter, they decide, oh, okay. Not all of them, but a good portion of the people in Corinth decide, okay, we will repeal the way we've rejected you. And again, we will begin to follow you as our apostle. So things are starting to change. Uh, one would say it was a resurrection experience for Paul. So then he begins to write 2 Corinthians, which is not the second letter he writes, but it's the second in existence. And he begins to talk to them about how we can do reconciliation. How can we live more fully as a church? It's a painful letter. It's actually a little bit complicated and convoluted. If you read 2 Corinthians, it's kind of, it kind of fidgets and, and changes as you go about it. There's no smooth transitions in there because he's dealing with more pastoral stuff that is painful. And he has to speak from a place of leadership while reeling from his own pain. Paul is there. And he speaks to them. But he realizes that in order for them to be the, the, the church they need to be, generosity has to be a value of theirs. Funny enough, uh, University of Berkeley, they released a paper. The Greater Good Science Center released a paper about 2018. And in their research study, they found that generosity is a part, uh, is hardwired in, into human beings. It's a part of our biology, they would say. Interesting, interesting that they would say that. And as humans, those who are most generous find themselves to be the most long-living and the most happy long-living people out there, tend to be the most generous of people. I think Paul knew this truth. He didn't need the research and science to tell him that we were created to be generous beings. He writes that in his book in Ephesians chapter 2. For do you not know that you are God's handiwork or craftsmanship created to do what? To do good things, good works. Paul states it to those in Ephesus. He says, hey, you were created to do good. And when you do good, it feels right. Church, we were created to live doing good and doing it generously. And when we do, it feels right. We were created to do this. And so, here Paul is. Trying to craft how he will speak to this people again. How he's going to reconcile. How he's going to pull it back together with his pain, with his hurt. But he realizes that if he is generous with his kindness and his goodness, that's a transformative power in his relationships. So in the book of 2 Corinthians, you may see that resurrection is a theme there. There's a real theme of resurrection there, of Christ giving Christ all that we may live in his riches. 
So Paul begins to write and he begins to carve out his story and his narrative to the people. A people who hadn't been as giving as they were supposed to be. Who people a year ago were supposed to collect money to help people in Jerusalem. To help the church and had not done it yet. And so Paul begins to write. But what he says, interestingly enough, in chapter 8 and chapter 9, the two big chapters on giving. He, he says nothing of actual money or currency. If you read chapter 8 and chapter 9, you won't see him say give money or take money or, or, or call for currency. He uses different language. In uh, chapter 8, verse 2, he uses Macedonia as a model. He says, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in wealth of generosity of their part. He says, voluntarily they gave according to their means and even Beyond their means. He's talking about Macedonia as the model for them. Then he, then he begins to speak to Corinth. Verse 7. We want you to excel also in this generous undertaking. Verse 9 of chapter 8. For you know the generous act of the Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich yet for your sake. He became poor. So that by his poverty you might become rich. He goes to the resurrection story here. Jesus becomes impoverished so that you and I may have his inheritance. And now it does something special among the people. This group in Corinth, they begin to shift the way they consider and they live. They begin to hear the apostle again. His writing here is clear and he is to the point. He allows the resurrection story, the giving of God, to be his giving even in his losses and his pain and in his trauma. You hear it in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20 says this, but in him it's always yes. For in him every one of God's promises is a yes. For this reason it is through him that we say amen to the glory of God. In Jesus it is a yes. In Jesus' death we were given a yes. In Jesus' resurrection we have the promise of a yes. There is a yes in God. Is there forgiveness in the community? Yes in Christ. Is there reconciliation? Yes, in Christ. Is there grace? Yes, in Christ. Is there love? Yes, in Christ. It is always a yes in Jesus. Chapter 3, he begins to talk about, as he's building towards generosity, the things that happens to a community when they, when they consider resurrection and the changes that come from there. Chapter 3, he talks about a new covenant. The new covenant that begins to happen. And if there's a new covenant, according to N.T. Wright, then there is a new creation that is about to come. Uh, N.T. Wright writes, uh, Isaiah 54 and 55, when God renews the covenant, it is to renew of all creation itself. And so he talks in chapter 3 about covenants, this new covenant. Chapter 5, if there's a new covenant, there's a new creation. Chapter 5, verse 17. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All is from God. Everything has become new. In Jesus, you and I have the wonderful privilege of being new creations. You came in here today feeling like old rags. You can leave today feeling like brand new creation in Jesus Christ. Amen. 
And then he pushes forward into chapter 8 and 9, where we started. And he says in chapter 9 that we read earlier, this is the point. The one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. We end here. We're going to land this plane right now. Because you know it. I'm hungry. Amen. We're going to land the plane here as we've just filled in all the gaps and the crevices of chapter uh, of, of 2 Corinthians, the book, the letter. And Paul says here, this is, this is the point. In fact, verse 9, it starts with this. The point is this. That those who, who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And the ones who are bountifully, sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each of you must give as you have made your, your mind. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves the cheerful giver. To give is a spiritual discipline. That when we practice brings a joy that the world does not understand. We live in a world that is more, uh, more geared to our self-interest. Commercials are created for our self-interests. The lives that we live, the, 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 the stores that advertise, the movies we watch are for self-interest. But here Paul says, you and I in the church, this is the one place where we can mirror to the world that self-interest does not reign. That the interest of others is priority here. That we will care and that we will listen and we will live generously with each other. Oh, to be in this kind of church that lives generously for each other. That cares about the needs, not just of my family, but of my family's families and my church's families and my larger community's family. To make connections that bear much fruit because we are willing to pour and sow much seed. There are many ways to be generous this year. This year we're going to push for generosity. I want our church to be majorly generous. Be generous in your giving. Be generous in your living. Be generous in your serving. We could use more people serving and volunteering. Turn to somebody and say, hey, volunteer. Yeah, get angry at them. Yeah, that's all right. <laughs> I'm living vicariously through all of you. Come on. Get, get, get serving. There's, there's a million things that we could be doing here for the greater, larger, greater area of Riverside. Now, one of those things is going to be our back-to-school event that we're collaborating. One of our members here um, uh, got us all connected with the, the county uh, Department of Education. So they're going to do a, a, a thing, a back-to-school event. For all the counties, uh, homeless families, as well as foster children and families, we've connected with last year university, so last year university is going to hold most of it. There's going to be like 8,000 people in this area in August. Somebody should say amen. amen. We get to be a part of that. We, us. There's a, you know what, Pastor, that's too big of a project, and I don't know if I have time for that. You know, like, looking for something meager. We have something called a Food Pantry Plus that meets every single week. 
They need packers to pack these boxes. They need people to come and distribute and help. We have the youth down there who do it like once a month. Can we give our youth some love? They crank them out. And the youth and the young shall lead us all. We need more people. We're actually working on a, on a way so that um, we can actually have a better time that's more accessible for all of us. But if you've got a Tuesday morning off, the Food Factory Plus are doing some great things and they need help pe people help boxing things. There are a ton of ways that we can be generous. We can be generous with our time and our giving and our, and our, our serving. If you want to get involved in Pathfinders and Adventurers, I can't do that. I go down there and I watch it and I'm like, ah, this is too intense, I can't. And you know who's down there? Dr. Jeff Brand. Yeah, let's give him a round of applause. Because saving lives isn't enough, I've gotta, I've gotta do Pathfinders too. I was with him downstairs last year and we were looking through some of the classrooms that need some children's stuff and we were just holding conversation and talking. And um, I said, man, you, you, you'd be cranking some stuff around here. He says, well, here's the secret. Here's the gist of what he said. He said, the secret is I do the work I need to do so that I can do the work that I was called to do. Ah, that's brilliant. Some of us are too busy doing the work we need to do because we think we were called to do that work. We were called to better the church. We were called to better our communities. We were called to love deeply and live generously. And if we have to do a work in order to get there, let's do that work because we need to so that we can do the work we were called to. Amen? Amen. Church, this year, I challenge us to bind together tightly as a people that are diverse, to make this place a safe place for all of us, to put others before ourselves, to build it in love as a body, and in so doing this year, may we be generous. Be well.